You're listening to the Great to Greater podcast with Tiffany Rufino, where we talk about all things business and life. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Great to Greater with Tiffany Rufino. As you can see next to me, I do not have Jeffrey Rufino, but he will be back next week. But I do have Rita Ernst, who I'm super excited for you to meet because her and I have parallel lives and she has a different experience than I do, but so much to share. She's not only a positivity influencer, she is the Ignite Extraordinary founder. She is an author. She's an industrial organizational psychologist. She's a speaker. She's so many things. And I'm so excited for you to meet her. So hi, Rita. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tiffany. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am excited to be here. I'm so excited to uh, revisit our conversation of when we met and the stories that you shared and just the things that you have knowledge of that has uh, reignited some things that I forgot about. So I would love for you to share with our audience how you got started becoming a positivity influencer, but also an industrial organizational psychologist, because really I haven't met or come across a lot of them. And while I know the degree is um, still growing and fairly new, it, it has been around for a while. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your story for our audience, but also again for me. Yeah, so um, I fell in love with psychology just as a, as a field um, when I was in high school. And then, um, but I really didn't see myself necessarily being a therapist. Um, and then I had an experience um, in my junior year that really got me thinking about the intersection of business and psychology and how those things are coming together. And I started researching that. And that is how I found industrial psychology. And there really were not a lot of programs at that time. So it's it, it makes me sound like a dinosaur to... Um, to my kids for certain, but I mean, there weren't even human resources degrees back then. I mean, that was maybe something that got taught at management school. If you got an MBA, you might get one course on uh, human resources, um, but that was it. So uh, definitely when I went to Clemson University, I was the second program. So I was not the inaugural year, but I was the second cohort in their IO program at the time. So it was a very, very new field. Um, and before positive psychology came along, which is, is my current passion. But um, yeah, I just, I fell in love with this idea of how do you build workplaces that where people want to be? How do you build a work environment um, where people really get to bring their best and be part of something that is good for for business, but is also good for the workers? And we we just we so much of our identity is tied up in our job. So much of our waking hours, we spend over a third of our waking life and work for the vast majority of us. And so it is very critical that that is a place that really fills our cup. And that's, even though I didn't have the same language for it, that has always been what I've been impassioned to do in my work in, in the field. Awesome. I, I agree. I grew up with a, a parent that was in a union as an iron worker. And so my thought was you do what the company tells you and you just work like that union hours and you don't call out sick, you don't take vacations and you're a number sometimes and you just go and do the work, you don't complain and you go home. It was a generational teaching of behavior. And 
then when I realized, I mean, I started working at the age of 14, so I'm like 17 now, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but with, with that mindset at that age and just learning, hey, if you work, you get paid. You work, you get paid. The more you work, the more you get paid. It didn't matter so much my balance of work and life. It was, no, this is what's expected of you until it came to a time where uh, I had to decide between personal and work and management or whoever you want to uh, refer to them as put me in a position to choose. And I've never been put in a position to choose between a career and my personal life. And of course, my personal life is going to win every time, every time. And that's when I realized this is not how it has to be. This is not how it should be. And this is not why, this is not how I'm going to live my life for the rest of my life. And I don't believe that other people should have to experience that. And I found myself becoming an employee advocate in a way. Um, but then when you think about it, everybody is an employee, right? It's just more of how do you advocate for different sections of employees and different groups in the hierarchy? Because I think management needs to be advocated for as well, because sometimes they're put in a position to communicate the not so great stuff without the tools or the support in communicating that, or they're put in the position to take the heat for that sort of thing, um, which I will segue into our topic in just a moment, but what kind of services do you provide to somebody who is reaching out to you for that uh, IO experience or to have that positivity influence in their culture? Do you work one-on-one -on -one with leaders? Do you work with corporations? What does that look like if somebody comes out to search for you? I usually start with, with the leader. I prefer to start at the top of the organization simply because um, when you work from the middle, or from the bottom, you are always trying to onboard and influence up above you. And eventually you hit a ceiling that can be very frustrating because you know this, I mean, when we go in, we're looking, we're seeing, we're assessing and analyzing and seeing all the potential and possibility. But if you don't have the right people in the room to green light that, then you can start work that you really can't complete. And that is a very frustrating place for me to be as a consultant. So if you work <laughs> with me, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you as a leader, but I'm also going to tell you, you got to give me access all the way through the organization, because the first thing we need to do is we need to do a, a robust assessment. And anybody that's coming in to work with you, that's bringing you a cookie cutter solution that isn't interested in doing any kind of assessment turn and run away, turn right. and run, flee, <laughs> flee the building. <laughs> that is, that is, that is like a great sign that there's, there's a problem here. And so we're going to really uncover what's the, what are the strengths in your organization that we're really going to be able to maximize? And what if any potholes do we have that we need to fill to smooth the surface? A little bit. We don't need to necessarily create a bunch of strengths that don't exist or overcome weaknesses. I'm not one of philosophically very aligned with a lot of that, but you really do have to know where are you trying to take your business and what are the things that are getting in the way. And I, and I use a very simple um, systemic assessment tool to really look at all the areas of the business and understand where you have alignment or misalignment of people and process. Because at the end of the day, we are a people fueled economy. 
Most businesses are heavy and the, and the businesses that I work with are heavily reliant on their staff. It is the people that make the business happen. And so it's good to have systems and it's good to have processes, but you also have to understand how people are engaging with that. Because if you have a tool that nobody's using or a system that nobody's using correctly, you're not going to get the right results from that. So we really center people in the business and then and then really look at, at how all of the communication and information flows from, from that as the is the essence of what is essential to the business. Do you work primarily in a uh, specific industry or are you broad in any industry that comes to you for help? Industry is pretty unspecific un for me. I, the work that I do really translates to any, but I do typically focus on service-based organizations more so than like a manufacturing. I have a, I have a strong background in manufacturing, but service-based organizations are really where I tend to find the most of my work. And my love are small to mid-sized businesses. So businesses that are under 250 employees, where you have a flatter structure, you tend to have more um, ownership. I like independently owned versus corporate businesses where the owner is really directly engaged and involved in um, and heavily influencing what is happening. And so that you can really enact change quickly. I, I laugh about it all the time, but it is so true that the keys to change are the same as the keys to weight loss. Right. So when you are on a journey to lose weight, if you are seeing those pounds drop every time you step on the scale, you're motivated to stay the course. And mm -hmm. if you feel like you're depriving yourself and you're not getting anywhere, you sort of lose your energy for it. It's the same thing in change. People need to see progress and they need to feel progress. And when they're not getting those signals, then they're quick to dismiss this and not really want to engage with it anymore. Agreed. And at the I heart of everything in business. I'm... Go ahead. There's a delay. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I find with the industry, especially with the word psychology in there, sometimes, you know, it, it's the NLP part of it, right? People get afraid of the word psychology or the word therapy or therapist, but really we do go in and we we do handle human resources part we do handle strategic planning and project management and and that piece of it and also the implementation of whatever strategy we have but we also dig deeper into what the root cause is so that they can make sure that it's handled there's not a fear moving forward and it doesn't repeat itself whether it's through a succession plan or whether it's through the leader that stays in place because the worst thing that we could do is go in and just you know provide a solution and you know implement it and implement a strategy but a leader has the wrong mindset and hasn't been open-minded to it and then they're not implementing it the correct way and it's part of a checklist so i think it's important for your uh, new clients that come to you and also clients that come to me for different things that they understand it's not just somebody coming in to save your business. It's somebody coming in to 
help you understand yourself and how you operate as a leader of the business or an owner of the business and why things may have turned out to be the way that they are so that you're not doomed to repeat that. And I think that's a surprise when I talk to clients. I don't know if you've encountered that, but you know, uh, I've had a couple of people say that being with Tiffany isn't a session, it's an experience. And because they don't expect that part of the conversation, they expect, okay, let's go ahead and let's do this, let's do this, which is great. I love the open-mindedness, but then when you get to dig deeper, it's like, oh, wow, I never realized that about myself. And it's almost like doing a DISC assessment or you know any other emotional strengths assessment so that you can identify it, but you're doing it in a consultative way. Yeah, I like that. I, you know, I, I like to tell my clients, I'm here because you're very successful. But just because you're very successful, I mean, if you're a business owner, and most of my most of my customers, they've been in business over five years, you pass that three year mark, you're you, you're successful, you know what you are doing. However, we all hit a place of confusion, second guessing ourselves, or just really not thinking and being prepared for the next level. So you get excited about the chase, you're chasing more business, you're chasing a big well customer that's really going to like, give you all this financial security that you're looking for. But you don't always realize you need to visualize how you could how how your business is going to run once you have that much more volume pumping through right and yeah. so um it's you know it's it's like if you only have a little pipe this big for water to flow through and then you all of a sudden go from a single bathroom to three bathroom house this pipe is not gonna you're not gonna have any water pressure it's not gonna be good right for anything you you know you've got to adjust so it's the same thing same thing needs to happen in businesses and so i don't think business owners are failing because of that and i don't think they are need to beat themselves up about that i think that it is just simply part of that growing pains and you can you can ride the roller coaster, the up and down of build the business and then watch it drop off as you struggle to maintain it. Or you hire somebody like us and we come in at that moment of, of peak growth when you're in the struggle of maintaining it and we give you all the shortcuts. And we do some of the hard labor, that hard assessment and labor, and we bring in a whole external lens that enables you to have a better decision set. I never tell anybody how to run their business. Right. I help them uncover the options and have the have a better decision set for for the choices that they are going to make. Absolutely. I always tell my clients or anybody that's a potential client, I say, listen, this is all advice that's supported by facts that you've provided to me. Whatever decision you make, I support. Here's my um educated opinion and suggestion based on the information that I have. And here's what you could expect to see from that. But I'm here as your cheerleader and, and to guide you along and support what you're implementing. However, if you go in a direction that's completely left and you want to go on a different ride, then we have to have a different conversation. <laughs> but I think that's a great visual to give the audience like, you know, going on the peak when you're going through that change in that uncomfortable period which is exciting because it's growth, but you don't know if the roller coaster is going to keep going like this or if it's going to drop. 
that's where you come in. So either you feel the exhilaration and you take a short hit real quick just to make the changes or you plateau and then you have to figure out where you want to go from there. And I think that leads us into our conversation about is customer service now a luxury uh, with businesses making changes like automating their systems or taking out a lot of the people part of things and automating it with whatever technology they could input in order to save costs on hiring employees. I know that I've been in stores and people view it as being short staffed when really the customers aren't going into a lot of brick and mortar anymore and purchasing things. So there, it doesn't justify having the staff there. It just feels like short staff because eight or 10 people came in at the same time. And once you see the register line, you know, start to build, you rush up there and all of a sudden everybody's there. But, um, you know, I used to tell my students and I, I tell anybody that I work with that with social media, you are always on the back end of whatever's being filmed. So nobody will ever see your story. They will see how you responded to it. And in customer service, that's what you see all over the internet. You see this employee reacted this way. Watch how this employee, you know, reacted towards this customer or whatever. And unfortunately, that takes a hit on the brand and the brand is struggling to find the right people. But then, you know, they're hiring whoever passes the mirror test, which I call, you know, place the mirror under the nose. And if you see them breathing, well, the other <laughs> Well, the other thing that we're seeing is we're seeing the explosion of TikTok videos where um, customer service people are outing themselves. I mean, they're doing these rants about their experiences mm -hmm. with customers and and what they consider to be bad customer behavior as well. And and so, I, you know, I on the one hand, it's very exciting to see this we had this burning platform of change for our global society called a pandemic and we learned how to do some things differently so we learned how to use technology in new ways and mm -hmm. everybody figured it out because that was what was required so for example, I, you know, I've heard that McDonald's in their, um, in their new model, they're going to stop fighting to find employees and they're just going to go to actually something that has existed in Asia for a long time, which is you walk up to a kiosk and you place an order on a kiosk and, and then, you know, you see somebody when you get your food, but there's nobody standing there asking you, you know, what you want today. And do you want to, to, you know, get the extra large fries with that or you know whatever the the thing is and that and i really feel like that came that change was possible because of the shifts that we learned how to do as as a whole social group during the pandemic and some of that is probably smart and advantageous and um but you're right i mean it is different in our in our I hate, I don't know if it's the right word. I hate to use the wrong word, but I almost feel like our civility has changed since the pandemic. And I think that that is impacting the way that we see customer service and experience customer service. The rules of engagement are just different. The, the manners that we were taught in kindergarten 
are not necessarily universally ad adhered to in the way that they once were as societal norms. That's a great point because I was going to take us back to when we were in the retail world and you know, we didn't have as much technology, right? I, I remember when the price checker scanners came into a clothing store in New York and they were like a new thing where the customers can check the price themselves. And I was just blown away. Like, whoa, you mean I don't have to stop for every single customer to check a price and run up to the front? And it was uh, mind blowing and it was nice to have that assistance so I can do other things. And looking back on it, I can see how responsibilities are slowly taken away from employees to focus on other things, right? But it's that rule of engagement of a customer needs help and I am here to assist them for them to purchase what they need and to find out the price and to make sure that I'm providing the best customer service. So they're walking away with all the goods that they need, but they're also coming back to keep getting more because that's the relationship, not only that they build with the employees and the the store itself, but it's also the story they tell their friends when they go and say, oh yeah, I got this at the store. And oh my gosh, you got to go see Tiffany with the customer service. It was great. She's so fun. She was there at the fitting room when I was trying things on. She told me what worked, what didn't work. And look at you guys complimenting me, right? And it was so ingrained in my mind, whether it was working in a pharmacy, working with food, working with clothing, that customers come first. And, you know, you learn a lot about a customer when it comes to their food. <laughs> Let me tell you, especially if you're dealing with breakfast, <laughs> it's the start of their day. They want over easy eggs on a, on a toasted bagel and do not break the yolk. <laughs> like That's the kind of customer that you have. And if you can achieve that, then you're giving number one customer service. That's my first job that I was taught. And I find that it's not so much that anymore it's more of make sure you get your customer to sign up for the loyalty or rewards card and also make sure that you're getting credit card uh, applications. And if you're not, this is the goal that you're supposed to achieve. And if you don't achieve this goal, then there's going to be disciplinary action because businesses are in the need of passive income from those credit cards. So customers can purchase online or purchase, you know, in store as long as they keep building up that credit. And they're not really as much in it for the business of selling goods anymore. Do you notice that as well? Or do you have a different perspective? I do see a, a fair amount of that. Um, there are certain stores that you go into that, you know, every time they're going to hound you for that credit card you know, buy, you know, get our credit card <laughs> and, and it's frustrating when the line is super long. So you've been waiting in this extra long checkout time because they're taking four minutes with every customer to try right. to convince them to take the credit card. And then when somebody does, and that's a whole nother like 10 minute, thank you, Coles, 10 minute, you know, thing. It's like, <laughs> Oh my God, you're killing me. You're just killing me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you hear the announcement over the walkie-talkie celebrating and the customers are looking at you like, why are you celebrating me going into debt right now? Like, what's happening? <laughs> like, nobody can know about this. I was doing this to help you out. This is a one-time deal. Um, but I also see that it changes the employee engagement, uh, not only with the organization they work for, but with the customers as well, because 
it's no longer about the employee being on the floor and helping the customer with whatever they need or having that uh, concern or empathy with what somebody might be going through. It's more of, if you don't get this credit card, then my day is just going downhill. The more no's I get versus the yeses I get, because that determines whether I get written up at the end of the day. So, you know, as soon as somebody says no, when they first ask, like, do you have a Coles charge or do you have this charge? And they say, no, would you like to save 20% today or 80% today by signing up? No, you don't want to save 80%. Okay, fine. You know, and then everything gets thrown in the bag. Get out of my way because I need to take the next customer. <laughs> and then of course you find 18 pamphlets in your bag, you know, still enticing you to sign up for the card anyway. Um, but I find that in other stores, when it's more mom and pops style, when the credit cards aren't being pushed because they don't have that sort of uh, capability at that point, there is a different interaction there. You know, I, I think about clothing shops or even smaller pharmacies or, you know, where it's more of a home family feeling and they're asking, you know, how are you feeling after your medication? Are you feeling better? And, and that sort of thing. And the conversation shifts from, I don't mind being there for 10 minutes because they're asking about me and they care. Right. And even in the restaurant industry, which, you know, uh, I think away from like the McDonald's thing, which I'm kind of really interested in seeing how that's going to work out. You know, I love that you travel. So you've seen things in play, but I think um, some mom and pops restaurants lay heavy on the customer service because they know that's how they keep that loyalty when there's, 20 pizza places, how are you gonna keep your loyalty of customers coming to you, right? And that's what brings me to, is customer service a luxury and does it only apply to mom and pop shops? It may become that. It's in, it's an interesting question. I, you know, I if, when I think about um, like clothing retail, mm -hmm. some of my favorite um, experiences are shops that still offer um, basically the, um, the personal shopper kind of support. So, um, sometimes you have to request that sometimes it's offered to you, but you know, there's somebody and you can say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, or they'll say, what are you in the store today? Can I help you find something? And, um, you know, and then they will sort of lead you on a journey and they will say, Oh, well, you want some new black pants. Okay. Well, here's three different styles that we have and different fabrications. And they start explaining things. And then as you're walking through the store to find these items, they're like, Oh, and this is really popular. And oh, this look, this would look really good on you. Right. And they're, they're like cultivating a little shopping experience. And you don't always want that, but I do tend to respond better. Mm -hmm. to that and to shop there more frequently and to buy more items when, when that is the experience. I, but you know, I like this, I'll pay more money to go to the fresh market, which is a, a grocery store in our area where it's a much smaller floor pl plan. Um, you have fewer, items, but higher end to choose from a lot of organic, a really good meat department, really good fresh vegetables and fruits, you know, department and a lot less on the aisle way 
stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, because I like that, I, I, you know, I, I like the feel of, of that store. I like the, the employees and how helpful that they are. So I, it, it, do, it does feel like there's still places where you can find it. But obviously, it's very difficult to make money or everybody would be doing it. Right? Yes, I agree. So yeah. um, you've got to, you, you, you still find those in the higher tiered um, items and brands and, and um, people that are offering deeper discounted items like the retailer we recently mentioned, you know, they, I do think they rely on things like credit cards to really subsidize their mm -hmm. ability to offer some of that. And I, then there's just, you and I know there's just funny markup pricing. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it just cracks me up. You know, it's, it's like if you walk in a store and everywhere it says everything is on sale <laughs> at all times. It's well, like, it's, it's like, like, please understand that's like MSRP if <laughs> you walk into the dealer to buy your car. Right. That's a suggestion. <laughs> well, I think, you know, that's one of the, uh, the beauty of, of you and what you bring to ex experiences with your clients, right? Is that you have the world's view based on your travel of, you know, from what I've read, because I haven't experienced it in Europe yet or in other countries, but what the price shows is what the price is. Whereas in the United States, it's, it starts here, but then we go from grade to greater, you know, when you get to the register and, you know, adding on the tax and whatever else, but you need the coupon or you need the loyalty card for it to be that. And when um, people from other countries experience that, they're really confused as to why it's a different price at the register than it says there. And it's almost false advertising. But yes, I have been in corporate offices versus the actual retail store and seen the back end of what things are charged. And I'm just like, I, I can't knock it because it's business, right? And I am a businesswoman and I've, I understand that part of it. And eventually, you know, if, or when I'm in an industry of myself where I'm at a different pricing point, I'll understand it in a different way, but the people that are starting where I'm at won't understand why the prices are different versus, you know, where they're at. And it's, so it's a weird balance of trying to advocate for entrepreneurs that grow to be even greater than they were when they started and celebrate their success and how much money they're making. But then at the same time, talk to the employees about, you know, I know that this is part of your job to get credit cards for them. So that guy over there can make more money, but he was once in a place where you were. And so that's a weird stretch to have in having everybody on the same page, because at the same time, when somebody starts a business, and I know that you've probably said this a thousand times, nobody's going to have as much passion for the business that you start as you will. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. um, that is absolutely true. But, you know, it's that question of how do you create fans? Hmm. You know, not just how, how, how do you have loyal customers, but how do you create fans? That I think that is really, um, it, if we begin to contemplate that, the, what that looks like might be different. Because to your point, I mean, the, the other thing that we learned how to do is get really comfortable 
buying stuff and have it ship shipped to our house. Yeah. So there were there was a whole segment of society that was very comfortable with that. I'm my so husband that. <laughs> my husband was not one of those people. But now like the big toilet paper, paper towel order, saline solution for contact lenses, he takes mm-hmm. care of the big bulk order that shows up at our door. And I, you know, I never have to worry about those things anymore. Right. And so and that's something, you know, if he's gonna buy like if he's got a run to do like a bunch of stuff he needs to get at Walgreens or CVS, he will go online and have them pick and shop it and put it in a bag. And he just walks in the door, picks up the bag and walks out. Like he's not going to go even walk through the store and, and look for things anymore. He's like, they'll, they'll do that for me. I'm like, and that is a different kind of customer service. Right. Right. So, so it, it I think it, it sort of really depends. Like I think, I think customer service may start to show up in a different way. Yes, I I agree. And, uh, you know, I'm surprised your husband takes a step to go in the store because we will sit in the car at Walmart for the pickup order and have it brought out to the car. Right. So I'm like, wow, I'm really bougie. I've never been with him. You might be right. He might actually do that. But I mean, it's but it's true. It depends on if you're getting, you know, the food one pound. <laughs> we but we've learned new ways of of buying in mm-hmm. and, and gotten comfortable with with some different ways of engaging with retail specifically and um and with and with restaurants which are sort of hospitality retail combined and and but it has it has changed a little bit of what we're willing to tolerate and what we're not willing to tolerate and what our expectations are. And so you've got this mashup happening right now of we we sort of have this emergency need to train buyers and they responded because they had, didn't have a choice. I mean it was an emergency and so people figured it out. So we have we've retrained buyers a little bit and now we have this issue with with our workforce and finding people and staffing and all of those things. And we have new emergent technologies out there. Mm. And so we really are at this place where we could just try to settle back into what used to be, or we can ride the evolution train and let the next thing emerge. And I'm sort of excited to see what the next thing is that emerges. And I'm not exactly sure what customer service will look like, but I think there will always be this place in our economy for this high touch experience somewhere in, in customer service. I agree. I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I I was going to say, and there's always also a segment for especially certain kinds of products and stuff where efficiency wins. I'm sorry, I missed that last you, part. Where what wins? Where efficiency. If you can get it to me fast oh. and at a reasonable cost, and I like just make the transaction easy. This can be a transaction. I don't need a relationship over this purchase. I just need a transaction <laughs> that is super easy to do. Absolutely right. Like, um, don't look at my Amazon cart. There's like two point one million dollars sitting in there right now, <laughs> goods that I don't need. <laughs> but you're right. Like, like I think about. Um, you know, probably a few years ago, I was working in Chicago and I loved being there because it reminded me of being back home in New York and the 
clothing experience is different than being in Florida, right? Obviously, because you go through different weather and uh, there's a different culture and environment there, like the city environment. So I was happy as a clam shopping in Chicago. I had, you know, no problems. And what I noticed was I went into Macy's, which was still big around the time. And they were still flooded with merchandise. I mean, the racks were double packed with clothing. The shoe department was a mess. You know, like the boxes are open, shoes are everywhere. And But I still wanted to look through it. I was still going to give it a chance no matter what it looked like. But I know from my experiences in New York or in Florida that if I'm looking at shoes at Macy's, there's rarely somebody that's able to come by and help me. Like it's just pick it, try to find it. If they could find the other shoe, you're Cinderella, you're lucky, right? And throughout this whole mess, I'm trying on shoes and a woman ignores the mess and comes over to me and she is like, Hey, you know, what can I help you with? I love your style. Uh, you know, do you like what you're trying on? I have a couple of other styles that kind of match that. And we sat and talked and had like the best time because she had a similar style to me. And I did spend quite a lot of money there and bought shoes that I probably would never wear in my life. But it was just because of that experience. And mm-hmm. because she was cheering me on, like being a fan of my style. Um, which I think is a beautiful way to put it is that the business has to have fans. But I also think that the the employees have to be fans of the clientele or customers that are coming in, right? And really advocate for them. Like, yeah, that looks good on you. Yeah, you should try that food. Why not? Look at where you are, have the experience and be the hostess with the mostest, right? To um, kind of match that same energy or elevate the energy there to keep people wanting to come back. And so, of course, I looked for her the whole time that I was in Chicago, you know, so that she could help me out. And I never found her after that. She did give me her information for the store, which I thought was great. I'm like, I've never gotten an employee's information, which brings me back to what you shared about the personal shopper experience. And I felt like, awesome. I was like, wow, this is what pretty woman feels like when, you know, she doesn't have to go in and say big mistake. It was like, no, this was a great experience. (laughs) And I think that's, um, that's something that would be rare for uh, a robot or technology, I think to provide. However, I do think it's kind of cool to see the hotels and the robot going down the hallway to deliver your food and you put in the code and it opens up and there's what your room service was. And, um, the other factor, which is sad in our society, but it's the truth, is that when um, you work in retail, it's scary now, you know, because even as a manager, you're expected to protect the merchandise and protect your assets, which are your employees. And there's a lot of elements where stores are closing because of the thefts, you know, like Walgreens in certain city areas, they just moved out. Walmart moved out of Portland, Oregon altogether because they said, we can't afford to do this. And employees are, you know, standing there and they're like, well, it's my job or this perfume, take the perfume. Like, you know, (laughs) I I don't care at that point because there's no customer service that I can provide that's going to stop somebody from wiping the shelves of all this merchandise. But it's still a fear that's there. And it's also a fear of the employee next to you and what they're going through as far as how your day is going to go at the same time. So, um, I understand why it might be better sometimes to have robots there, but also there still has to be some sort of factor that drives people to the store so that as a community, we're not 
becoming hermits and we're not like just sheltering ourselves in our house all the time because we all need a community. We need a foundation in order to, to survive. Yes. Yes. I, you know, I, I do think that, um, I, I want to go back before I move on. Let's remind me, we're going to come back and talk about AI in a second. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the point you made about fans and, and, and about your staff need to be fans. And, you know, the staff can only be fans if you're treating them well. And they're mm-hmm. in an environment that they want to be in, you know, they, so they can sort of pretend, but I mean, there needs to be that genuine exchange, which is a lot of the work that, that I do. And I'm guessing that you do as well around culture and teamwork and other things is just really trying to create that environment where people feel like, Hey, I belong here and I'm an owner of this. And, um, I was telling you when we first met and I'll share the story again. Now I was just recently in Italy and after traveling several days with my friend, I ended up back in Milan and I had a couple of days just on my own. And it had been a really busy day. The day I came back into Milan, it had been rainy and I was traveling and by train. And so I got to my hotel and it was right around five o'clock in the evening and they do something lovely that's a version of happy hour in italy basically where you go and you sit down and you order your alcohol and then they give you these free little snacky appetizers and so i'm like okay i'm just gonna it's like it's too early dinner time is 7 30 <laughs> in <laughs> milan you don't you don't you don't go in the restaurant at six o'clock and say can i have dinner please they're, they're not open for dinner until 7 30. So, um, but I was tired and I just needed a little something to eat. And I was like, well, I'll go do the aperitiva and, and get something. So I like literally just looking for the closest bar that has aperitiva near my hotel. And so, um, my, my Google gives me this little bistro around the corner. It's just a very short walk. So I walk over there. It's a pretty quiet evening. I, I get a table and I order Prosecco and they bring me my Prosecco and they bring me the small plate. And I'm actually sitting there like with this um, little tour book and I'm mapping out my next day. I'm going to the Duomo the next day. I'm going to do the rooftop thing in the morning. So I'm sort of like looking through and deciding like, what am I going to do while I'm in that area? Where do I think I want to have lunch? What shops do I want to hit? You know, like just like studying up on making plans for the next day. The first glass of Prosecco goes down really easily. And so I catch the waiter's attention and I wave at him and I'm like, you know, can I have another please? And instead of bringing me out a fresh glass of Prosecco, he brings the bottle out to my table and, and tips it up and fills my cup back up in front of me. And that just really struck me. That's so different than the way we do food and beverage service in the U S. And so I start drinking my second glass and, um, and he, you know, comes in and he over and he checks in on me. And I said, do you have a menu? Would it be possible for me to order food? Cause it's now getting like in that seven o'clock hour. Yeah. And I had this excellent, um, eggplant Parmesan, which is one of my favorite things in the universe. And I had this excellent serving and I thought this has just been really so nice. Um, the, the server, there were two guys that were working, they were just so lovely. And I thought tomorrow evening, I'm coming back here for Apertiva again and probably dinner, but I'm definitely coming back 
tomorrow because this is just feels like home. Like I've been gone. I was now about 10 days into my trip. So I, 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 it was just, I just needed that. I was loving that sense of hominess that I got. And so the next two nights I went back to the same restaurant. I, so I didn't try any place else. All these, you know, there's Michelin classic restaurants and um, stuff all over Milan. And I didn't go to any of those. I just went back to this place because they just made such an impression on me. So when I show up the second night, they're like, Hey, and I'm like, I'm back. And you know what I want to drink. And they brought me Prosecco and they brought me the little things. And then they had this little special menu that they were talking to the locals about the day before when I was in, but they didn't talk to me about at all, but they did on the second night. And it's this little special tasting plate thing that they did. And so I was just having this, you know, really nice conversation. So I said, well, I'll be back to see you again tomorrow night. And I left. Well, when I came back the next night, there were two different guys working that were different than the two that had been there the prior two nights. And so, the, of course, they didn't recognize me. There was some special event planned in at dinner time, And so they said, well, we can give you this table up until seven o'clock. And I was like, that's OK. That that works fine for me. And I ordered and, um, after I ordered my Prosecco, the, um, they brought that to the table and they brought me the little aperitiva thing. And then I was ready to order my second glass. And one of the guys from the first nights came out and saw me and he was like, Oh, and he saw my champagne glass and he went and got the bottle and he came to the table and we started chatting again. And all of a sudden it felt like home again. And, but it was a completely different experience, not having those same people there. So I do think I was fans. I was fans. And I asked him, I'm like, are you one of the owners here? And he's like, no, I just work here. But it was clear that he operated as if he were an owner. And so as I'm sitting there, um, there was somebody at the table adjacent to me and she got up and left. She went down the street and she had left behind her wallet. And one of the guys grabbed it and went running after her and chased her down the street to return her wallet. Right. Yeah. And this is the kind of customer service that I feel like we don't really see yeah. in the U S anymore that, that just really struck me. Um, but I felt, I felt like a local for a little bit of time with those guys, you know, and just entertain. I felt like a local. It was, it was like, I could see myself living here and this being my little joint that I come to every night and have a drink after work. And I really don't drink that much after work every night. <laughs> <laughs> Until you move there, then it'll be a different story. <laughs> I love when you share that story because, um, a, I can envision that, that, place you know the way that you describe it i could just envision the place envision the scenery envision the small like brick streets that are there and all the tourists that are walking around and the small place and just the vibe of it being home but what i also see is how you light up when you share the story and i think that's you know the thing that we want our customers to do anytime they share an experience that they have you know because so often we lean towards complaining, looking for that validation, you know, of did I do something wrong versus let me tell you about this great experience that I had. And so hearing that is such a great feeling because it's nice to hear positivity, which is what I love about what you do as the positivity influencer and sharing the 
great stories and not that the people who first met you were bad. They were, they just didn't know you at that point. And it was just a little different because they had so much on their plate. They weren't treating everybody um, as individuals. They were thinking about what's coming ahead and how to prepare for that from what it sounds like. So um, thank you for sharing that because I really, truly love that story. And I was so excited to hear it again, but I want to bring you back because I promise I'd remember uh, bring you back to the AI part uh, that you wanted to come back to. Yeah, so the thought about the AI thing is that, you know, there is still this untapped opportunity to offer smarter shopping. So when you were talking about the shoe department, for example, in your experience with a woman, I could definitely see a kiosk robot kind of thing where you walk up and you answer some questions to tell it what kind of shoes you're looking for. And then based on, you know, this pick that you make, it might offer you three or four other options. So there's, there is a, mm -hmm. a running shoe store, for example, and on their website, um, once you tell them your foot type, then they will recommend shoes to you. Like, oh, here's what you bought the last time. Here are three other models that you might want to consider, right? It's a smart shopping experience. And so it's not that you always want to buy, you know, five-inch stilettos in three different colors. <laughs> you might only be shopping for one. But, you know, you start with one and you don't realize that maybe there's something else. And, and so instead of walking the DSW aisle after aisle after aisle looking at shoes, there should be this way to really, you know, pull up and, and more smartly offer suggestions to you. Right. And so I think that's still an untapped opportunity um, within retail. You know, I, I think it's very akin to you go to a high end restaurant and it'll have um the menu from the chef and it will say you know for example you know it's lamb or veal tonight and it will tell you you know these wines or these beers pair very well with this dish mm -hmm. so it's making a drink recommendation to you um and so it's that same idea of like, how do you sort of lead people along in that experience? And so I think there is a way to offer that feeling of unique touch and personal shopping experience to people, even if you're in a virtual setting. And I think we still have things like that to figure out, but I think we're starting to get our AI technology to the place um, you know, I mean, I, I, I haven't tried it. Have you tried it? Have you gone to chat GBT and say, I want to dress like Kate Middleton at this <laughs> event or whatever, you know, and have it give you store and outfit choices. I mean, I wonder if it could do it. It would just be, Hey, I should be so lucky to have her, um, ability to wear what she wears. But what I think chat GPT would tell me is Tiffany, don't buy anything else because Kate recycles her outfits. <laughs> <laughs> not have a new outfit for every event. She will rewear her stuff. Go back to your closet and do not buy. <laughs> but I have played around with GPT, and I think um, 
I think that there is an opportunity to still combine customer service while uh, gradually growing into the future, right? Of, of what's to come, just like we did with phones, just like our teachers used to tell us, you're not gonna have a calculator in your back pocket. You're gonna have to know this in your head. Well, guess what? My phone, I have a calculator. And if I turn it the other way, it's scientific. So I'm good. I don't need to know angles and all this other stuff. But I still think that it's, you could be impressed by the future only so much, but I think the human interaction will always be something that's necessary. And to bring that point home from for us, where we are is a small little city. I mean, when we moved here, it we basically said it's for the newly wed and nearly dead. That's really just how uh, small it was and how much there was to do here. And uh, finally, as things started to build, there was a fine dining restaurant that opened up and not a lot of people went to it because they were so accustomed to the easy fast food restaurants and just the, the takeouts and things like that. But my husband and I wanted to experience it and we go in there and it's almost pitch black, uh, like, like really dim lighting, but nice environment. The waiters are dressed all in black and they have, you know, they don't carry around a notepad. They memorize what you want. And when you opened up the menu, it lit up and it was just like the littlest thing, but we both looked at each other and it was like having candlelight there. You know, it just gave like such a nice glow throughout the restaurant. It gave an ambiance, but it also gave a little bit taste of we're not just like every other fine dining place. Like we're going to take it to a little bit to the next level and give you a little bit of surprises as we go. Um, and I remember there was like a movie on Netflix and gosh, I can't remember it, but I'll put it in the comments when I do. Um, but Keanu Reeves made a surprise, uh, appearance in this movie. I think forever be my maybe, uh, is the title or something along those lines. And so he made a, a quick appearance and he sits down with the group that's there and they're at this really ultra futuristic, fancy restaurant. And the waiter comes over and they're putting out the dishes and there's nothing on the dishes. And the woman is asking, oh, and what is this? And they're like, oh, it's freshly served air. <laughs> You're just sitting there like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I would pay to have air with Keanu Reeves. I, I mean, I could see that, but any other time, probably not. I'll have to send you like the link to that one because it was a good watch, but um I think that leaders will have to be forward thinking in how to communicate to their employees that, um, you know, the customer is still a priority because they're still helping to keep this open, uh, this place that we have and what we stand for, even as we are fluid with change in how we move forward. And if customers want to shop from home, that's fine. You know, we support that. And if customers want to order here and have it sent to their house, we can do that too. And by the way, don't forget to offer them other services where they could save money in the future. If that relates to loyalty or credit cards, I just think maybe it's changing the script and uh, what is most important. And by placing that metric on credit cards being most important and, and that sort of thing, you're not going to gain the loyalty that way. You'll gain it by the customer service and the appearance of the store or, you know, somebody really taking the time to get to know you and, and what your needs are and being your hero. Well, you know, we cannot exit this conversation without talking about Chick-fil-A. You probably don't have Chick-fil-A where you are. 
Yes. Oh, yes. It's very popular in Florida. Oh, you do. Okay. So Chick-fil-A, a.k.a. the place to print money, <laughs> they kill it. And yeah. they, they, are, they are actually reformatting all their stores. So all of our stores have been closing and going through the reformat. I don't know if you've experienced this yet or not. So let's talk about Chick-fil-A and why Chick-fil-A is so very popular. My pleasure. One is... Yeah. Yeah. One is the cult like training they go through. My pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. Two, they completely reinvented the drive through. So if you don't, if you have not had the experience of a Chick-fil-A, you do not, you no longer drive up and yell into a sign to place your order. They have no, typically no less than four people positioned with tablets out in the drive through area, they have two lanes of drive through in most locations now. And you speak to a person and the person takes your order and puts it in. And then they have a, a payment pad right there to take your credit card payment or take your cash payment. So all payment transaction happens before you ever go to pick up food. This has dramatically impacted their throughput. So you roll up to our local Chick-fil-A and you go, oh, holy hell, there's a line around the building. Do I have time to wait for this? And they will get you through there in 20 minutes, which is incredible when you're talking about 50 cars in 20 minutes. Right. I mean, that's incredible throughput. And so in the new design, what they've done is they've taken away the window and there's no longer a window. There's a doorway. So that their staff can literally walk out. They're not trying to reach and hand over. It's much more efficient. They can take steps right up to your car and hand stuff to you. And so they they are totally reinventing the experience of drive through And it is painful. It is absolutely painful to go to Wendy's <laughs> and wait and wait and wait and wait because now you know you know this soup and and, let, and let's not i mean there there's no bone-in chicken like at kfc but <laughs> chicken is not something that you almost get cooked i mean deep frying right. chicken it, it takes time yeah. so for them to the throughput required to do all of that chicken and keep that moving out the door is incredible and they just keep refining the science of that and they're doing it with people Mm-hmm. They are doing it with well-trained people, perfectly placed. They've put, um, they've built covers over the order area so that their staff can be sheltered in inclement weather. They've added heaters for the winter time. They've added fans for the summertime. They give them special outerwear jackets for inclement weather. I mean, they are doing all of the things and they never have a staffing problem that's true too they they never have a staffing problem because of the way that they treat their employees and what's so interesting is there is a local um startup that is affiliated with texas roadhouse um it's a burger joint that has gone in right across the street from one of our chick-fil-a's and they have followed everything except the doorway because the doorway is brand new but they have people out there with tablets they have two lines of people huh. going through um to order so they they have it's an in they've they've completely adopted all of those practices 
to really make it faster. You know, Starbucks and um, of course, Chick-fil-A has a suit, but Starbucks, you order on the app. Right. So, you know, my daughter orders when she wants Starbucks on the way to school, she orders it on the app and we just roll in. She hops out of the car, picks it up and hops in the car and on we go much yep. faster than sitting in the drive through line when you're short of time. So, so some retailers I, really are reinventing and they are creating really great customer service experiences in different ways. Yeah, I agree. Cause I know that, um, and this is a bonus, but maybe not for me, but I know that Ulta will deliver to my house same day, which is exciting. <laughs> but I remember, you know, like at least on the fast food front, like we were discussing when checkers first came out, they had the two sides that you can go to. And so you could get, grab it if you were a passenger or if you were the driver. And I was just like, that's brilliant. And then McDonald's did the thing where they had the two lanes and you're like, that's brilliant. You know, filtering out how you kind of go through the funnel is a little awkward, but you know, and then Chick-fil-A upgraded to that. And so I think it's always, who said it best? I think Simon Sinek said it best when he was um, talking to Apple about, you know, how they felt about their competition um, with like uh, Microsoft and everything else. And Apple just said, you know, Hey, it's great that their Zoom is taking off, you know, compared to the iPod. It just means that we just got to take it, you know, to the next level. And we don't have competitors because they don't offer the same things that we do. And it's true, you know, Chick-fil-A is chicken, but you know, Checkers offers this and McDonald's is changing that. And, but it's the experience that's going to say, do you want to wait in line that long for something that that's like, mm, or do you want to like go through and you'll, you don't mind doing that because of the experience um, or the convenience rather, you know, of just not having to wait that long and it's right there. Why not? Um, <clears throat> there's one more thing that I wanted to go back to of what you shared, which I, I think is a really good point also is that when we were talking about restaurants before and, uh, you mentioned like, you want to go back to that little spot in Italy, which now I want to go to, um, where you chose them versus going to like a Michelin star restaurant. And I think about that and I think about how reviews are so important, but it depends on who the review is coming from. And with TikTok being so transparent about, uh, you know, people talking about the places that they've worked at and their experience, but the behind the scenes and also, you know, on the front end, working with customers, customers will make choices based on that, based on how the employees have been treated by their managers and by their leaders and how willing they are to share that. And also about how the employees speak about the customers that come in and the experiences they have. Because if you're there and you're making fun of customers and posting it all over social media and a customer already has social anxiety or is stepping out for the first time after the pandemic, they're not going to be comfortable going into a store where they're not sure if that's the culture of the place, right? And and how they're going to mm -hmm. be treated or, or seen moving forward. And Michelin stars, yeah, they're awesome, but they're basing things on things that I don't look for. I look for different things in a place. So that's not my go-to. I'm going to Google reviews. I'm going to Facebook and TikTok and, hey, Michelin star, you got one? Awesome. I got stars tattooed on my arm, you know, like, hey, we're <laughs> twins. <laughs> you know, it's just a matter of what's important to you and what to look for. But I think overall with... um you know, what you and I talked about, I think the point is, is that we can marry technology with customer service 
and still keep it positive and still keep these places going and not be abandoned buildings or shopping malls or things like that and, and still have a positive shopping experience instead of sitting at home by yourself with no one to ask for an opinion on something or to bring you a second item or to try something new and really experience life, uh, you know, in real life. <laughs> and so having said that, um, you know, to, to tie this up, because I know that we could go on this forever, especially with both of us having that positivity influence and, and not in a toxic positivity way, because we understand like life is life, but there's different ways that you can move forward with being positive. I know that you have a book out and I wanted you to share with our listeners what your book is titled, what's it, what's it about, and how will that help them ignite their extraordinary so here's the book. The, the book is called Show a Positive. Um, it came out in June of last year. It is based on work that I did with essential businesses in um, 2020 and 21 um, coming out of the pandemic. And here's the basic thing. You know, we have been told something that I had to totally reset my mind about. But if you go through um, a business course or you go through an, an organizational psychology course, you're going to be taught that culture starts at the top of the organization and you have to do values work and all of these things. And that was one of those myths that in my mind just totally got um, blown up in the pandemic because all of those things were still true. And yet I had so many leaders coming to me saying, help, I don't know what to do. Like we, we used to take care of one another. We used to pull together this, we, this things were great. And now people have their faces buried in their phones. They're unhappy. They're, um, um, they're like, they show up at the last minute, they run out the door at the end of their shift. They're not giving anything extra. They're not getting along with their coworkers. And what we really came to see in the most extreme way is that culture really is just about how coworkers engage and interact and treat one another. Mm -hmm. That becomes your culture. Your culture is really dependent on that interaction that you're having with the other people in your work area, however small or big that work area might be. And that's other things may be going on at the top of the organization, but unless you're like in an organization of 20 people and the founder or president is highly engaged with everyone every day, really what's happening at the very top has very little to do with what you can create with your coworkers. And so show up positive is a movement to activate each person in their own workplace to use their personal agency to create the kind of workplace that fills their cup, that excites them, the place where they want to be every day. Work should not be the place you dread going. It should be a place that brings joy and happiness and fulfillment. And what we know, there's, we didn't even get into all those facts, but what we know is that happy employees perform better, which means businesses do better. It is a good business, undeniable, scientifically proven fact that you want to cultivate happiness in your employees. And so I talk about the convergence of happiness and productivity because 
employees are winning and the business is winning together simultaneously. And you don't have to be the wicked smart president to figure out what that is. You need to unleash that in your people. You need to let them be a part of creating that and what matters to them. And if you are doing a good job of understanding your values and selecting people that match to those values, just let them go wild and create the experiences. They will create the things that will sustain you. And when you throttle that and try to over control that, what happens is you lose it. You lose your people. And because people want that autonomy, they want to build that. They want to, to do what makes sense to them. So if you, if you were listening to this podcast and you were one of those people that says, I don't know what happened. My workplace was amazing. It's been stolen away from me. I can hardly stand to go there. What I would say to you is, you know what? You were not the only person that remembers what used to be and longs for that. And you can be the first person to take action. Just start being that person you used to be. Start being that coworker, your favorite coworker. Think about what that was experience was like with them. Like really visualize it in your mind and then start being that person with others around you. And I guarantee you that you will activate their muscle memory too. And you can be the catalyst for change in your own organization. You can be the person that brings happy back. Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. Where can they find your book? Because I feel like this would be such a great book to use to recreate a training or to have you come and speak to the book for organizations and show them what that looks like based on, you know, in comparison to what they're currently doing, that's not working. Cause gossip is like the death of a culture for sure. <laughs> it, sure it sure can be. So, um, so yeah, the book is designed, it can be your own self-study. There's all, the, the first half of the book explains and gives you the psychology of what's going on. And the second half of the book is all practice. It's, it's 50 inspirational words and practical advice and wisdom about how to really and questions about how to bring that into your workplace. You can find the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, your own independent bookseller. It's an international distribution. Um, so you can, you can order it. it you're not going to find it on a shelf at a brick and mortar store, but you can order it from any retailer. If you go to my website, which is, um, right here for you at nightextraordinary.com. There is a show up positive page. And at the very top, I give you quick links. I did uh, record and release the audiobook a couple of months ago. So you can get uh, it's in paperback. I didn't do hard copy because I want it to be easy to carry with you anywhere. So there's a paperback ebook and audiobook options. And I really designed it to be a book that you dip into over and over and over again. And one of my favorite reviews that I consistently get is that you don't have to read it in any particular order. You don't have to read it in any consistent sitting and you can just pop open the book and start reading a section that captures your attention and you will get something valuable out of it. And when my reader said that, I knew I really hit the mark, but I do offer some signature training courses. I do custom design things. I do keynotes. If you've got your leadership group coming together and all you can spare is 45 minutes and you want to inspire them to elevate the culture and activate their employees, we can do that. Um, I just did a wonderful half day workshop 
uh, that I call the Accelerator Workshop with a team, a financial services team up in Cincy last week, and it was fabulous. And so there's all kinds of options about how we can do that. That's so exciting. And I love that you are not only talking the talk, but walking the walk by providing all different ways for people to access this book that'll ignite their extraordinary and, and you know, help with their positivity in their organization. Um, one more thing that I forgot to mention is that you do um, uh, sort of like your own podcast, like a business podcast. Can you share a little bit more information on that, on how the audience can reach you and listen to you and where to find that? Sure. So mine is very brief compared to this, this conversation, but I love when I get into a fabulous conversation like this. So every Monday morning at 1145, I live broadcast on YouTube. My YouTube handle is at Ignite Extraordinary. I keep it really simple. My Facebook page, which is at Ignite Extraordinary and on <laughs> LinkedIn, which is Rita Ernst Positivity Influencer. So you can catch me at one of those three locations. And of course, all the replays are available, but it is literally a, an eight to 10 minute segment that I do 1145 Eastern time. And I pick a word of the week. So um, the word of the week this week, because I had to pre-record it because I have something going on tomorrow. I, I got my card deck out from my training and I think the word was flexible flexibility. So we're talking about change and flexibility and the importance of flexibility in the workplace this week. Um, so you know, there's the card. So there's the card. Oh, how cool. So that, so that's coming up tomorrow. And of course you can watch it in replay. You can find it. If you go find the YouTube channel, you'll find all the replays. So the point of that broadcast is simply to inspire you. So if you're not sure, what I'm trying to do is to get you to build a positive bank account within your own headspace and in your interactions with others. So each week, I just encourage you to practice one new behavior. This isn't about speed dating. This is a marathon. So we are practicing. We're just Every week, we're just trying something new and trying to get in touch with that. So we're going to work on getting in touch with our idea of being open and being willing to flex and compromise and meet people where they are and not just be insisting on our own way of seeing things. So that's the skill that we're working on. And when we work on that skill, we build ourselves, we build our strength so that when things are really crazy, we're better able to tap into that openness. But then we're also creating these wonderful positive experiences with others so that they know they can trust us and they can respect us and that um, we uh, have good intention with them. And so that's the whole idea. And, and it's just over time. And if you don't like my word, pick your own word for the week. You don't have to use my word. So <laughs> you, you can you can find that again, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook are the places that that live streams. Or if you're a reader, you um, can sign up at igniteextraordinary.com for my email. And every Monday morning, I'll drop an email for you that gives you a word for the week. And, or you can do both. So um, I say I wrote the email and I'm trying to remember what the word for the week is. I wrote that yesterday and it's, it's escaping me, but it, but it comes out every Monday morning. So it's just a way for me to reach into my show up positive community. I, this is for me, this is my mission. It's not about book sales or anything else. It is really about you and other workers like you and how do you create a workplace where you want to work? 
because you don't have to wait for somebody else to do that for you. You can really start being that thing for yourself. And you know what? If you do that enough and it doesn't change, then go find another job. You're in the wrong job. But a lot of times we have a lot more power than we give ourselves credit for. And you have the ability to be the change agent you've been waiting for. I'm rooting for you. And I'm just going to show you some ways to get there. And now you guys see why I fell in love with Rita instantly. She's definitely there to start your intention for the week with that newsletter. So sign up for that and definitely sign up to listen to her talks in the beginning of the week, because what trickles into the workplace will also trickle into the home life too. And you could influence your family at home, especially if you have somebody working that is not happy where they're at. You'd be surprised about how the changes you go through can influence your entire family life. And you could see the positivity just start to be ignited, I guess, is the best way to put it. And go to great to, to greater from there is the best way. Yeah, <laughs> so great to greater. Rita, absolutely. absolutely. Um, Rita, it's been such a pleasure. And I think we probably could have gone on to midnight. And, and I don't think you would ever regret giving up a Sunday for me, <laughs> um, just with our, our conversation. And um, I, I thank you for your time and for your words of wisdom and um, all the tools that you have to share with our audience. And to our audience, thank you for listening. Thank you for jumping on. You know that you can find me at tiffanyrufino.com or you could check me out on Facebook and add me on under Tiffany Rufino Business Therapist or you could check me out on Instagram under Tiff Rufino. Either way, I look forward to meeting you, joining you and uh, sharing your journey and taking you from great to greater. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe and share. You can watch us on YouTube or you can check us out on any podcast channel that you have that's available. Uh, great to greater with Tiffany Verfino and Jeff will be back next week. I promise we don't know what we're talking about yet, but I'm sure it will be great. So create a great week and we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you, Rita. Bye.